Welcome back to Out of the Main, a Yacht Rock podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Tom, and my co-host is John. Yes, I'm here. Yes, all aboard. No, we promise not to we, overdo yeah, the cliches. Never get tired of that. Right? But, but you got to have some, anyways. Um, so we're at episode two, and today we're talking about what makes yacht rock great. And if you're unfamiliar with the reference, we are referencing a very popular YouTube series by who is it, John? Rick Beato, and he does the What Makes This Song Great, where he takes a, a hit song and breaks it apart and talks about the, all the individual minutia going on and what makes it add up to a great song. Yeah, which is very interesting to watch. And he pulls, like you said, all the parts and, and analyzes them in their distinctive, you know, by themselves and then as a group, you know, how the whole song layers together. So go check that out if you have it, because there's great Yacht Rock, or at least era songs where he analyzes them. But what we thought we would do for Yacht Rock, because we're talking about why we love it, it would, and how it's going to maybe reemerge and is reemerging as a genre, is to, to analyze what makes Yacht Rock great Technically, uh, from a production standpoint, from a performance standpoint, because it helps, I think, some people identify, is it yacht or is it not, right? right? But also then to explain, why do we love it so much? And so that's what we're here to do today. We're going to go through a couple of the the uh, things that are most common from a, either a performance or a production standpoint. Some of the quote-unquote cliches that are just kind of fun and kitschy and uh, that mm-hmm. are just endearing. But yep. I think we'll focus mostly on the sort of technical prowess, right? Yeah, well, we want to talk about what it is from our perception that makes Yacht Rock great. We're not here to define what songs are and what songs aren't. But when we listen to what our version of Yacht Rock is, what are those things, those common threads that we say, man, that's just, that's the magic that makes it what it is. Yep. And there are strains. So these aren't common to Definitely. every strain of Yacht Rock, right? Because I right. think there's, you know, like we said in episode one, John Ford, Coley, and that strain is different than, say, the Toto strain or the Boscag strain or Steely Dan. But um, I think we should start with the rhythm section because for certain strains, and a lot of the bulk of Yacht Rock starts with the bass but more specifically the drums and the drums when i think of the drums i think of what i call the picaro shuffle but i don't think that's an accurate moniker for but what is it and what should we really be calling it yeah not 100 percent accurate because even jeff when asked about the picaro shuffle you made a point of saying that uh, really it's the the purdy shuffle bernard purdy who um was another drum that played a lot on uh steely dan stuff but uh, he is the one that's given credit with developing this halftime shuffle thing. Yeah. So instead of doon doon you know, it's this halftime doon doon you know. And so Jeff, I didn't know you could beatbox, by the way. This uh, was a first pleasant time. discovery. First time. So Jeff uh, took this. Really, the question when it was posed to him referred to the Rosanna intro, the Rosanna beat, which is one of the definitive uh, shuffles of the Yacht Rock era. And there's a... YouTube uh, video round of him talking about this, and he goes through the individual elements that make up the Rosanna beat. And he specifically says that the shuffle pattern of it, the halftime shuffle part, is Bernard Purdy. He says it's equal parts Bernard Purdy with the shuffle, John Bonham's Fool in the Rain. I guess most of that would be the snare stuff and the ghosting of the snare. And he said you take that and you put in a Bo Diddley bass drum beat. And you put those things together, add them up, and you get the Rosanna beat. That's cool. You know, Jeff was known for having that particular feel 
for that shuffle, and he was hired to bring that. You yeah. know, uh, whether he wants to credit Bernard Purdy, it was he that got the calls because of the way he played it. And he was such a precise tactician that he could make it feel perfect and yeah. loose at the same time. Yeah, they supposedly they never played to click tracks, according to another wow. thing from Lukather's book. They never used click tracks. Um, I was going to mention Steve Gadd is another one that could do that shuffle. In fact, um, there were times for, for years and years and years up until maybe last year, I thought that we're in this love together, Al Jarreau, which is one of the definitive halftime shuffle tunes. I always thought that was Jeff Percaro until mm-hmm. I finally looked up credits looking for something else and realized that it was Steve Gadd. We're in this love together. We got the kind that lasts forever. I mean, those two were very interchangeable at the time as well. Um, but one of the other things about Yacht Rock, and we're going to get to the other instruments, is that every instrument mattered in the mix. Every player mattered. And that's part of what makes it so technically different, that this wasn't about creating a sort of vanilla palette to support a lead vocalist. Every player in the band was given voice. Everyone was expected to bring something to the whole. Yep. And it's probably the last time that, uh, other than a few exceptions in some rock records and stuff, where the bass player really got to show. Yeah. And the bass playing of that era was just... it. it the way it worked with these, the way these drummers played was they really understood the tug and the pull between the note and the space between. Mm-hmm. And I've always credited Marcus Miller, and I'm not even positive anymore that he's the one that said it, but... With the the saying that uh, rests are notes too, yeah. and that's particularly important for a bass player, at least in this genre. There was always that tug and pull. Um, you know, since then we've really gotten into you know rock bass, which is just kind of a chugging along of driving and or you know some sort of pattern, but a do 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 you know. And then currently, it's a lot about these sub bass, long just whole notes anchors, you know. But back then, we, we've got you know a couple of examples here of the way that the bass is articulated just with these simple little notes in that space, and then boom, and then space. We had a couple that we had uh, talked about. Yeah, there's a you know I'm a bass player, so I have a particular affinity for it, and it it works so well with the drums. And what you said earlier, just I wanted to emphasize that not only is every instrument um, accountable to creating a very you know, special part of the song. Even going back to the drums, like the hi-hat's not an afterthought. The hi-hat's a very integral component, whether it's the shuffle or it's all these accents, you know, these tight, you know, accents and, um, you know, how the, the, the toms are played, what you're doing on the snare. It's very sophisticated. But how that pairs with the bass, I think, is important because I, it's funny because I've discovered along the way that there's a common, um, there's a common phrasing for a, a yacht rock bass line, and I'll try my beatboxing here, but it is. It's always the doom, doom, doom. That's how it always starts. Now, yeah. what happens after that yeah. can vary. You can either repeat it, so doom, 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 doom. Right. Maybe someone will recognize that. Or you could go doom, 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 stuff like that. But it all starts with this funny little doom. Do, do, do. Yeah, and so the songs that we, you know, I could go on and on and on, but like if you think of JoJo. You got you. Got Keep forgetting is the one I was just kind of humming. By 
Michael McDonald, but it's got one of my favorite bass players of all time, uh, Lewis or Louis Johnson. Uh, Georgie Porgy by Toto has yeah. this. In all cases, we got Jeff Percaro on drums on all three of those yes. you've mentioned so far. Right. <laughs> uh, Pablo Cruz. It's a lot of short notes and a lot of space. Yep, space. And you can then fill... The back end of phrases is you're coming back to one, but the one has to be super tight and then super that accented with the do doom. So that's where the groove comes from. That's where you know? the groove comes mm-hmm. from. Absolutely. So, and then what you layer on top, that's why I wanted to start with the rhythm section. What you layer on top of that, because that's usually so solid, like you said, with Picaro and a number of just brilliant bassists, is you start getting the layers. Right. Right. And one of the layers that I think is very common is what's happening with keyboards. Yes. Uh, most notably the Fender Rhodes, and yeah. not just the Fender Rhodes, but very specifically in a lot of the West Coast stuff, particularly the Jay Graydon productions, was this E Rhodes, mm. which was a very unique Rhodes that was uh, rented out by this uh, company called Leeds Rentals, and they had these specific Rhodes that they modified. I don't know all of the minutiae of the modifications, but what happened is that they ended up with a very unique sound, a lot punchier in the upper mids and all that stuff, that it just, it popped out of a mix in a way that none of the Rhodes pianos had before then. And Jay Graydon had one in his studio, and so everybody that he was producing back then, whether it was Mark Jordan, Al Jarreau, um, Manhattan Transfer, that all used this E Rhodes. It was became a sought-after thing. Yep. So it's not just the roads, uh, the E-roads. And so, and I would say part and parcel to the instrument was the actual, what came out of the roads then, which is, you know, I'm thinking of the Michael McDonald methodology of the different voicings that you're able to kind of visualize on a keyboard that you might not on a guitar. Right. And I always talk about the fateful moment that Kenny Loggins met Michael McDonald in the genre was born because as a guy who writes music on guitar myself, it's difficult for me to get outside of my own visualizations and to think of new possibilities. But talk through some of the complexity of the chord voicings. Because I sent you a song with some straightforward, you know, that I was writing straightforward, had some A minor, G, whatever, simple stuff. And you said, sent it back to me with some road style keyboards and what if we did this and you're adding what to the top of these voicings well it's hard to get into too much of the the detail of it but a lot of it is taking the basic chords and adding the sevens and the nines and what we call upper structures to them or you have a, a chord root and there's multiple like related chords that can go on top of that and you might bounce back and forth between A minor to G over A back to A minor. It gives you that bum, bum, bum feel as opposed to just a straight A minor chord. All kinds of little things like that. Um, There's putting different notes in the root. Hmm. Um, A lot of things that piano players do, particularly someone like David Foster, who, um, you know, some people say he'll never put the root in his left hand of the chord, which I I doubt that that's true, but it's an exaggeration that... That piano players think about inversions and shaping these chords in such a way. Um, one of the techniques that's also used is the layering of a Rhodes on top of a regular piano. Two different performances where the piano player might be playing very dense chords in the lower register. And the Rhodes player will be playing a lot more of the sevens and nines and upper structures in more of an upper register, but also spaced out the notes. As opposed to crunching them close together, they'll get real wide uh, voicings and when you layer those two things together, 
it's I mean it's as full as like a string section. Yeah. It just it's amazing. And that bouncing back and forth is what I was trying to describe with the Michael McDonald. You know, he yeah. does that a lot in his yeah. Doobie Brothers era and then solo. Exactly. Um, what else is a common element of what makes Yacht Rock so great? Something I like to call the Lukather guitars. Yep. And what I mean by that is, um, and I got to put Jay Graydon in there because those two played so much alike. But these guys would do that clean, palm muted, snappy, you know, rhythmical thing that's almost like having a clavichord in there, which just brought so much groove to a track. Mm -hmm. And they would go from there, and then the same guy is just wailing <laughs> this solo. Yep. So both things are equally important to the yacht rock genre. The the explosive lead guitar solo, but also just the mood setting that these clean guitars do. And, and guys like Graydon and uh, Lukather were equally adept at either one. Yeah. And do they frequently pan that little tick -tick 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 -tick, like far off to yeah. the one side? So yeah. when you're listening to yeah. yacht rock on phones. It's a whole new experience because you hear this thing in maybe just your left ear, and it's creating this mood. And it it is it's that soft feeling of being on the beach or on a sailboat. Yeah, there's or something. a great story in the um, in Lukather's book about when Quincy Jones brought him in to play on Human Nature um, for Michael Jackson, and yeah. that song was written by Steve Percaro, and Steve Percaro being the computer and uh, keyboard genius and sequencer and all that stuff. He had the whole thing mapped out, all with synthesizers, all. Uh, drum machine, all programmed, everything. And they they loved the demo. They loved the feel of the song. But for Quincy, it just it needed that one extra thing. And he wasn't quite sure what it was. But Quincy supposedly was always, when he was making Thriller, one of his goals was he, it, he wanted it to be able to play on white radio, rock radio, black radio. What He wanted it to be on everything. R&B, pop. Yes. And so he was like, he keep brought in Luke and said, how can we make this track funkier? What can you do? The subtle genius of that muted track, and supposedly he triple-tracked it in order to give it even more sort of unpredictability. And uh, as it famously goes, that uh, Steve Percaro hated it, but... No, really? <laughs> Too bad it was Quincy's call at that point. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think, didn't you say, because you just kind of referenced it, that Everything was feeling sort of produced and overly mechanical in by putting some imperfections in or some variety yeah. in, at least injected some humanity into the tracks. Exactly right. right. So, he yeah. wanted it to be made funkier, but I think that's where the triple tracking of it came from because Luke could play so precisely yep. that adding one layer was not going to be enough to give it a little more life. So he triple tracked it to create a certain amount of unpredictability. And you'll see this, what we're describing on all sorts of, you know, Michael McDonald music, Steely Dan, for sure. It's that same, the combination of light and breezy, some funkiness to it. But then when the guitar player, like you said, needs to rip off a solo, yeah. it's going to be second to none. Jay Graydon does that for Steely Dan, but which is a nice segue into... Producers, because the production was an art form as well as the music, and you can't have one without the other. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Well, no. I mean, uh, the producers are ones that had the overall vision of what band do I want to put together to make this record. Um, they would typically have the call on who are going to be the players. And then, as we said uh, in our first episode, that it wasn't just about who's the best guitar player I can bring and who's the best drummer I can bring and who's the best bass player, but also they had to be cognizant of these guys that play together. You know, if I want the groove of Jeff Percaro, what bass players work well with him, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so not just an all-star band, but just, actually building a band. Yes, right? and so band. producers had to had to do that and understand that a lot of times the producers were also players on the records, too. I mean, David Foster played on pretty much everything he produced, and Jay Graydon, you know, same thing. So they were not only overseers, but they were central parts of the band as well. Yeah, and it was I, integral part, like I say, to the creative process, too, was to just the production of it. Because without that, who knows what you'd end up with. I mean, you just... You had to have a specific ear and a specific talent for doing certain things. And, and there were other guys, too, that their um, particular strength was the ability to get that super clean, beautiful recording. You know, equal parts natural where you're hearing the band, you feel like you're hearing the band, but it is so well recorded that you, you know, you feel like you're right there. But um, Bill Schnee was a guy. Mm. Um He's not really a household name because I think he's probably more known as maybe a recording engineer than a, than a producer. But really, that's where his strength lies. He worked with Pablo Cruz, Boz Skaggs. He engineered Steely Dan's Asia and Gaucho Records, and those wow. are considered two of the greatest sounding records uh, uh, ever. Yep. Um, another one worth mentioning um, and almost is somewhat surprising is Ted Templeman because Ted Templeman was a producer... Um, and from what I understand, we can always be corrected on this, that he was a staff producer and early on in his career was handed, um, you know, you were given projects by the label. Here, produce this band. And, you know, one of them was Van Halen, mm-hmm. but he was also given the Doobie Brothers. And, of course, the Doobie Brothers at the time were doing the Southern Rock thing. And so, so maybe... Pre- so maybe went hand in hand. Yeah, this was pre- from the very beginning. Yet, when the change came and they went to Michael McDonald, Ted Tebbelman is still there as producer. And as much as the Doobie Brothers changed their style of playing to accommodate the new thing that Michael McDonald brought, well, Ted Templeman had to adjust too. Right. And there's no denying that minute by minute, you know, is one of the absolute perfect staples of Yacht Rock and it's won its Grammys and all that stuff. And so, you know, we could say Ted Templeman, you know, was along for the ride, but he had to be awfully darn good at what he was doing to be able to make that change with them. Amazing. Well, and so I want to segue using attention to detail as a, as a way to segue is, I guess for the the um, average listener, you hear a horn section in the background. They could be somewhat, if you're not, you know, a, you know, a true lover in knowing who the players are. They could be anonymous because they you don't hear their voices. They're usually not taking solos, and it's just a horn section. But right. there was a lot of actual specificity relative to horn sections on this era. There was. There was almost one particular one, um, and that was led by Jerry Hay, H-E-Y, Jerry Hay, lead trumpet player. Uh, And he was generally given the charge of not just uh, bringing the horn section, but also doing all the horn arrangements. And he worked a lot with David Foster and Jay Graydon and probably a, a whole assortment of others because he... And his horn section was the absolute king at the time. And uh, 
take my notes here. Um, Cause you see these same names over and over and over again. So Jerry Hay, um, Gary Grant on trumpet, Chuck Finley on trombone, Bill Reichenbach Jr. Or I guess he was trombone. Chuck Finley was trumpet, Gary Grant trumpet and Jerry Hay also trumpet. So uh, three trumpets and a trombone and they were just powerful. But Jerry Hay wrote some of the most memorable uh, horn arrangements. One of the ones I like to point to is uh, a Jay Graydon uh, production. I also believe Steve Lukather co-wrote it. But we talked about uh, Turn Your Love Around mm. by George Benson. Turn your love around. When you reach the chorus of that song, the horns, the way they respond to the lead vocal, the horn response is something you sing as much as you do the lead vocal. And it is is intrinsic to the hook of that song, as is the lead vocal. And that is Jerry Hay. Yeah, you have to sing along to the horns, too. Well, isn't this the same group, um, speaking of a similar song, that um, played on Rosanna, which... Yeah, it's still... That's a... uh, is a Jerry Hay arrangement as well. And you think of that uh, riff that leads into the chorus. But so, you know, you hear that come into the chorus. Um, that did have James Pankow from Chicago uh, in that on trombone. But it's not just about the performance of that horn section, but the writing of that line. Because, again, that is a hook that everybody sings when they sing that song. Right. Yep. Awesome. Well, let's. Uh, I have another one for you, and we'll kind of uh, maybe the second half of this topic. We'll get into some of the kitschier, more fun um, aspects of yacht rock. But this is sort of straddles both the technical prowess and the kitschiness of it. But the the lush harmonies that were recorded, yeah. it, a lot of which you know was saw, actually performed by Michael McDonald himself, because yeah. uh, he's like a fixture on Christopher Cross and all these other albums that you hear. Um, but the, the recording of the harmonies are just amazing in how do they get that sound and why is that a sound that is pretty much distinctive to that era great singers number one i know that sounds overly obvious but it they weren't recording other than the case of michael mcdonald who had an incredible ability to blend with himself and harmonize with himself in very dense structures i mean very close harmonies uh i think a lot of these records were made with groups of people singing. I remember, you know, when I was in music school, Berkeley College of Music, yay, yay. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the points our teachers uh, made about stacking vocals is that if you want to stack vocals one at a time, you can get there. If you want to record multiple people, never do two. Hmm. I'm sure that has something to do with the way that singers hear their internal parts, that you need to hear somebody, you need a, a third part in order to truly get your intonation. So you're talking about recording three or more at a time, and that's how they would do this. You would get a group of guys together, or girls, of course, um, but a lot of these were done with guys singing falsettos. There wasn't a, a ton of the girls in the main harmony groups. They mm-hmm. were often, was, we'll reach that later, but... Um, you know, there was just guys that specialized in this. You know, Tommy Funderbunk, Tom Kelly, uh, Richard Page from Pages and Mr. Mister. These guys were experts at singing backups. And they probably worked together a lot, too. And so they knew each other's ranges and they could just slot in these parts. And, you know, there's nothing like recording a group of good singers. Yep. And didn't they often, I know 
borrowing from the Beach Boys era, which predates this, obviously, but wasn't there an emphasis on like at times kill the vibrato and just let yeah. it all just sit tight together? Yes. Um, so yeah, and, and as I said, a lot of falsettos. And yeah. the reason I say not girls is because a guy singing falsetto brings you a different texture than having a female vocal. Well, so we can sort of segue into some of the charming cliches of the genre. Yes. Which I don't mean to say that as a pejorative. It's just it's. Um, it's something we all love about Yacht Rock, but it's funny how it keeps repeating itself. So yes. one of which is a perfect example is the sax solo. Yeah. So by the late 80s and 90s, we're talking guitar solos. And there are guitar solos, obviously, in Yacht Rock, yes. but just how prevalent the sax solo is in that era. Just 80s music in general, but, you know, you had uh, typically, um, you know, the sax was featured after a second course or whatever, yeah. but interesting to find out for me that it was even like again the same session cats like a david sanborn yeah david sanborn on, played on a lot of stuff on a firefall album where it doesn't yeah, seem firefall, to fit. bill the bounty yeah he'd show up there um it did seem that they uh often preferred alto over tenor there was yep. plenty of tenor i mean one of the you know great uh solos of uh yacht rock is uh you know asia wayne shorter blasting uh, over the top of a Steve Gadd drum solo. I don't know how it gets any better than that, but this the sax solos, I guess the, the reason that they went for alto is uh, similar to the reason that the guitar leads are very uh, lyrical, almost that soaring yeah. sound. Is it An alto has much more of a singing quality to it, whereas a tenor can typically sound a little more brooding if yeah, you want it to. Right. Well, yeah, exactly. And then you get up to soprano and you start hearing Kenny G and smooth jazz. Yeah, and it can be piercing, particularly mm-hmm. if you're trying to blow hard over the top of something. So that, that alto seemed to sit in that fir- uh, that very perfect place. That, which was, I th- that was uh, David Sanborn's weapon of choice, wasn't it? It was, the alto. Yeah. So yeah, that makes sense. Um, what about, like, so you <laughs> you previewed the, the female backing chorus. Yeah, this, you start listening for this and you'll hear it Everywhere, which yeah. is not only the the chorus of ladies singing, but then the call and answer at the end. So, mm-hmm. um, thinking of songs like, um, well, the the most famous one is for me anyway. Is really love to see you tonight, yeah. right? Really love to see you tonight. Yep, back and forth. Yeah. Um, they must have had a thing going because they also did something uh, like that on "We'll Never Have to Say Goodbye Again." Mm-hmm. You hear it, right? Yeah. Um, yep. But variations on a theme. So. Babylon Sisters. Babylon Sisters. That's the first one that came to mind. To yeah, me. where yeah. they're singing, they're taking the chorus. Yes. The um, which also happens on I keep forgetting. By the way, at the end. That's right. They do. They take over. They That's take right. over. He does He's the ad libs in between. Ad libs in right. between. Um, a lot of air supply stuff has the ladies in the mm-hmm. background, and then what I heard just this morning was uh, Magnet and Steel. Oh yeah, which is yeah. a ton of featured female vocalists. So you, you start listening for that, and you'll see that come up again. Are there any others that come to mind? Maybe just artists that typically had that as you a feature. You put me on the spot. Uh, I'd have to research that. I'll get back to you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> listen for it. I will, I will be listening for it. And I'll probably curse you every time it happens because it's a marker. Yeah. It is a marker. Um, and another marker, which is kind of funny, um, is the orchestra. Like so yeah. again, certain strains. Christopher Cross, Air Supply. You'll be surprised how much. And then, the, like, um, well, I'm going to take you one further with the orchestra, though. A lot of times, the orchestra was conducted and or arranged by Marty Page, who happens to be David Page's oh, father, wow. David Page wow. from Toto. <laughs> uh, well, and then I thought of yeah. then you can mix the genre. So if you have the the strings and the female vocals, then you get something like Key Largo, and you've got this you know real gentle you know by uh, Bertie uh, Higgins, is it? 
Yeah, somebody's jumping on right now to tell you that that's not Yacht Rock, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> Especially, well, yeah, because it's, it's, he's from Florida, boat right? music, yeah. yeah. It's more like, yeah, but, keys music. Again, yeah, but does it give me the we right feels? We it gives me care. the right feels, right. right? So I'm all about the feels, but right. yes. So and somebody might also be jumping aboard to say Air Supply is not Yacht Rock because they're right. in Australia. Yeah, so right. all's fair and love in Yacht Rock. Um, yeah, so there's that. And then, of course, one of my personal favorites and it's not unique to this genre, but you get to like the vamp and you got to have that key change yes. because you're taking a little something extra yeah. over the cliff. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a, a personal well, favorite. You know, that, that was um, David Foster really writes with a lot of key changes. I'm not talking about where the song goes two thirds of the way and then jumps a key at the end. Which is what I'm talking I about to. a song that might go through three different key centers before it even gets to the first chorus. Yeah. Uh, you know, famously, uh, the song that uh, he and Bill Champlin wrote for uh, that uh, Earth, Wind & Fire covered, you know, After the Love is Gone, that goes through multiple keys yes. before it gets to the chorus, which is in its own key. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But I'm thinking of like the the staple or things like This yeah. Is It and, you know. Just, but it all works because of the melody. It all works because of the melody. melody. Is what, yep. And that's the reason that they wrote a lot of these sophisticated chord progressions and things is because they wanted to be able to have these sophisticated melodies that had a lot of this half step motion and very jazzy resolutions um you know everybody was doing the rock you know one four five chord yeah. thing to death these guys wanted to do something more sophisticated than that and that allowed their melodies to be so much more involved and they had the technical prowess to pull it off because oh, if yeah. you get a weekender trying to pull off the chord <laughs> progressions right of uh of a complex chord and then you move it up a step yeah all the voicings are different and you, you don't have time to pull out the capo like right. i would yeah. right and get the one of those sliding capos yeah exactly exactly so those are the elements. I don't know if there's any others we want to call attention to, but you put all that together, they don't all appear in every Yacht Rock no. song, but those are sort of the, when you hear it, now you're going to, as listeners, if you weren't already, you're going to, every time you hear a female backing chorus doing a call and answer, the strings, the, the, the snappy beat, guitars, snappy guitar, mm-hmm. the doom yeah. on the bass and yeah. the shuffle, you'll be like, ah, this is what makes Yacht Rock so yeah. great. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are we ready for lightning round? I'll turn it over to you as the we MC are. of the lightning round. We are. So we're going to uh, do our yacht or not section. We're going to do our buried treasure. And then we're going to do our, uh, I guess we'll just call it a song suggestion. Which uh, We're going to start off with the yacht or not. And I did an artist last time. I'm going to hit you with just a song this time. And I'm going the other way around. Okay. No, no, I'm not. I I will in a future episode, though. Oh, okay. can't wait. Hit me with a song. I'll say yacht or not. Is it yacht? Gary War- uh, Gary Wright's Dreamweaver. God, that's when I posed myself a mm. ton. My gut says, uh, I'll tell you what, my gut has said no, but I've come around to saying yes. So okay. my initial, the first time I heard it come up either in a mix or maybe it was on Sirius, I was like, this... This doesn't belong. It's a little too psychedelic in yeah. a way, but I agree. It, uh, yeah, I felt it was more like, not quite acid rock, but yeah, like yeah. you said, psychedelic and it more prog rock or something. But um, I think I ended up just putting it into a playlist and letting it ride, and now it feels more natural to me. So I'm going okay. to say it is Yacht 
What did you say? I'm I'm still of a no, but it's on my list. But yeah, kind of more no. It's a little. I guess you know I I've probably had it in there and I've probably taken it out since because to me when it comes on, it's a little psychedelic and it kind of changes the mood for me. So I keep it off. Well, what's interesting because our the third round of our lightning round. I, sometimes I would I would include songs in the Yacht Rock playlist because I thought if I don't put it in this playlist, it'll never come up right. anywhere else because this is the place where I listen to this stuff. But the third round of our, our our lightning round is the building the Yacht Rock playlist. That's maybe where this belongs. Is Dreamweaver could go yes. there, and it's an adjacent sort of genre. It's not quite yacht, but it's good enough to want to listen to. Right. Yeah, I agree. All right, let me hit you with the second round of Buried Treasures, um, because this is a song that you discovered before I did, but it it comes up infrequently in my playlist, but when it does, I'm like, oh my God, was this good? And I got to defer to you for the pronunciation of his name. The song is Get It Up For Love Mm -hmm. by Ned Doheny. What a masterpiece. Yes. Especially if you love guitar work. The guitar work is like so subtle, but yet so good. And it's just in that chorus is just yeah. so hooky. Yep. And I don't hear that come up a lot, but um, it's definitely worth an ad if you're creating a playlist. Yeah, I'll go so far as to say his first three albums, you can put every single one of those tracks in. Um, I think some people don't quite call it Yacht. They just think it's more West Coast. But I tell you, I think it all fits. Yeah, it's great. All right. What's your buried treasure? My buried treasure is, well, this was an album that was being recorded back around 1980, I guess, but never got released until just a couple years ago. It was kind of a sort of a Yacht Rock super group, I guess you might say, or they, I don't know if they were doing it as a hobby or what. I don't know all the story behind this album. I know it got released a couple years ago. The artist's name is 213, as in the LA area code. Hmm. Don't mistake it for there's a rap group hip-hop group I, I believe tupac was in called 213 so spotify is very confused when you go looking this up <laughs> though you can find it um but the song is called woman and it's on the album called three little words the song is called woman and it's got jeff percaro on drums and the phrasing of this song is so different and strange it's a great hooky song but it's not like it's just got this straight ahead groove and you have to go in with the listening and say i want to he- hear the way Jeff Percaro plays this. Jeff Percaro puts together one of the more clever drum parts I've ever heard him do because this isn't just a straight groove. And he's, he, I got to say no more than that, but Jeff Percaro is an absolute genius for the way he plays this song. I will check it out. That's not one I have, so I'm going to check that out and add it to my list. Okay, so song suggestion. So this is something that would probably typically be considered outside of the yacht genre, but uh, we're going to say put it in there, give it a spin, let it sit and commingle alongside your other yacht rock stuff. And um, Well, you want me to go first or are you going first? I guess I was going first. Go first. I was, uh, I was leading up to the big thing. I just <laughs> killed it. This is uh, K.D. Lang, Constant Craving. Constant Ooh, Craving. I love so the song. So smooth. And go. It is just, it glides along like it's on air, man. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful song. 
So that's yep. my suggestion. Yep. In the way I'm envisioning this third round, so we'll have to decide, are we adding to our playlist or creating a new playlist? Because I'd like to create a new playlist where, like that song, I want in a playlist, but I can't imagine where else it would fit. So, um, but technically not Yacht Rock, right? Oh, definitely not. But yep. I'm, I'm saying if you want to grow your Yacht Rock playlist beyond what is Yacht Rock and have other songs in there that work with it, yeah. but I, I, that, that's what my concept was. Okay. And for me, like what I did in episode one, it's like I feel like I'm in some way settling a beef or settling a score because certain songs from certain artists um, will be considered Yacht Rock, part of the canon, and others won't. And sometimes that distinction is clear and makes sense. Like obviously new uh, Hall & Oates probably doesn't belong, but some of the older stuff does. But sometimes there's two like adjacent songs that on paper look why why do we have to like have such hard lines like I did with the uh, against the against wind, the wind and still the and same. still the same right um, so he, here's let's settle this score so okay. you could only include yacht rock or in your yacht rock apparently if Doobie Brothers has Michael McDonald in it but I disagree but I, go ahead. I know <laughs> we disagree but there's a song that I love that we talked about recently it's not a buried treasure or obscure song at all it's Long Train Running. Which, if you listen in your left ear, so you do it on phones, listen to this little plucky guitar, acoustic guitar, you'll swear they took it right off of Sailing by Christopher Cross. And it gives you this vibe, and I'm like, why can't that be on Yacht Rock? So it's going to be on my Yacht Rock playlist, but again, it's, you know, we can't just throw away early Doobie Brothers just because they don't have Michael McDonald. No, no, I, I absolutely agree. I have plenty of their stuff in living in with my Yacht Rock list. Yep. Cool. Well, that was episode two of Out of the Main. Yep. Um, we're going to really get out of the mainstream on episode three. We're going to look at maybe some adjacent subgenres. So stay tuned. Until then, ahoy polloi. Mm-hmm.